Hello, and welcome to Soccer Sense Making, where we dig into coaching topics like practice design, language, and tactics. We are coaches having authentic conversations where we can question cultural norms. My name is Julian Khalili, a passionate coach and aspiring researcher who wants to improve our field. I believe quality conversations are a good place to start. Enjoy and keep it real. What's up, guys? How's it I'm going, I'm here John? with Sasha and Gonzalo, good friends of mine. We're um, hello, guys. We're constantly on the phone, having conversations about soccer, football, um, coaching um, in the world, and we figured, why not just record some and see what happens? Um, so, if you guys want to give a short introduction of who you are, and then we can just get the ball rolling. Yeah, go for it, Sasha. Sasha, we'll start with you. All right, so my name is Sasha Gores. I'm uh, right now I'm working for a really small club called Virginia Velocity um, and out of Richmond, Virginia. Um, been here for 18 years now, worked in numerous organizations here. Um, my last stint was with Richmond United, which is an ECNL club, um, National League club. Uh, I was the boys director there for five years and before that uh, for three years, you know, just on the coaching staff. Um, I'm originally from Germany, but came over, um, I guess, like many soccer coaches in America, coaching, um, uh, sorry, playing in college um, when I was, you know, 23, 24, around that time. And then played a long time for the Richmond Kickers in the USL um, and then ended up, you know, becoming a coach. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah, guys, um, my name is Gonzalo. I live here in Denver, currently coach with the uh, Colorado Rapids Youth Soccer Club, uh, director for the boys, ages 11 through 14. Um, so fun job, able to see the oversee the 9v9 to the 11v11 game. Um, and just always, always curious, always trying to learn more, always trying to read more, um, Different having different conversations with Julian. Happy to be connected with Sasha now. Hopefully, start to have some good conversations with him. So, so yeah, just happy to to be here with you guys. That's great. Well, um, we come pre prepared with one topic we want to start with, and um, it's one I do a lot of thinking about, and I'm kind of like jumping around on whether like how to think about it, um, and I know you guys are too. But it's this concept of the thirds, breaking the field down into the thirds. Um, like attacking third, middle third, defensive third. Um, yep. And this language um, and organization of training around this, um, what's what's the point? Um, and why? Why do we do this? And so I think we need to dig into that a little bit and see what, what's working and what, what's not maybe and see if we can figure out like what, what's really going on here with the thirds because I, I don't really understand the reason why we use it. And I kind of want to hear what you guys think too, and we'll, we'll get into it. So what, what do you guys think? What, what about the thirds? What do you think about the thirds? Well, um, maybe as a coach who has done that in the past, <laughs> it's not good, it? um, so I think it gives, um, you know, the coach, 
depending how you see yourself as a coach within within the group of the, the with the players, right, and your role within that, I think a lot of coaches might see themselves as directors or instructors or leaders that um, they have to provide kind of like sense or control to the players because soccer, I think you agree, um, is is very chaotic, right? There's a lot of things happening. It's very hard to control what the players, how the players are working together, I, I think. And so the idea of that you can split this complicated field with so many things into different parts and then... Um, that way organize it a little bit i think is is motivation why coaches will do it or why i have done it in the past yeah i, I think that's exactly where i'm at you, you have this idea of like the coach controls the context of how the team should be playing and if you if you look at it in the sense of the coach wanting more control over this you can break the field into these areas and more or less in like a mental model type way, you could say, in this third, this is what I would like this group or unit to be doing in this phase at this point of the game, you know, and you can, how far do you go and how much is it based on what's actually happening versus what's happening in um, a model that's absent from the directly what's happening there? It's a uh, question I, I kind of have there. Say that question one more time. It's like how much of the of the model that we design, like that coaches design in the sense of in the defensive third, I want to play like this, middle third, attacking third. How much of that is really just based off of a model that the coach has that isn't representative of what might be happening in the game? Right. Yeah. Like you get a little mix. We agree. Gonzalo, I can't really hear you. Might have to go a little closer. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah, yeah. I said, here I think you get a little mix of like the paradigms. It's like, I think at a high level, I think the coaches can agree that the game is very complex. Um, you know, it's a chaotic game. Um, and so they say, okay, like how can we try to, what tools can we use to understand the game? And I feel like they steal like kind of this tool of like fragmenting things. Um, kind of in a more linear kind of scientific kind of background type of thinking um, and they cut the field like into thirds right and it's like a way like you guys are saying to to control the process to try to understand it um, but in the end we always say it's like okay you're training the build up in the first third is the successful build up really just getting out of that third or is it like arriving to to score a goal you know um, and I feel like that's where there can start to be some disconnect where, you know, it, like you start associating the goals of like the phases or where the ball is, um, very strictly to just like, basically, if you get past this, this, this hypothetical line that we're putting for the third, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I think, I think generally creating lines that don't actually exist in the game, right. They are not part of the field. Um, right. Just with everything, we, we create things that are not part of the game. And I, another thing that comes to mind there is is transitioning, right? Like it's it's like when does transitioning end and when does it start? It's it's a uh, you know coach's idea is like oh it's five seconds or three seconds or seven seconds and because of that we have a different phase. There's nobody who times this in the game, right? There's not a transition clock. Um, so and it's the same with this these lines. 
they are just random lines that don't exist on the field and because of that they are so hard for players to reference within the game right like for example you could say that our we are not pressing the opponent um until they cross our midfield line right like that is a much pow more powerful idea for the players because that's a reference point they see in the game right. it's not that i would do it but it's much more than saying there's imaginary um third line that we can't even see but we just know where they are and doesn't matter how big the field is doesn't matter where the defensive line is or what they're doing it's like that's that's a line and that we adhering to and so i think i don't i don't mind talking about the game sometimes in the context with other coaches to describe what is happening on the field maybe with mm -hmm. with the zones but i would rather describe the zones um with with the things that are happening in the game so for example you can describe zones also with the defensive line or midfield line or the mm -hmm. opponent's defensive line right so you can say that we you know struggled um creating spaces between the opponent's defensive line and their midfield line so now i i still talk about spaces or zones so to say right and you can give those zones names if you want um but uh, that is more powerful because it it connects actually what's happening in the field with with the reference for the players yeah agree that's what exactly what they do uh, I, we've talked about it julian i don't know if you've looked into it sasha the the stage spaces in barcelona um okay. they talk about there's basically like four behaviors like um when a team is defending you have like the players that are uh like pressuring the ball you have the players that are kind of like containing the progression and then you have the players that are like defending the the finishing areas close to the goal Mm -hmm. And so they kind of define the phases based on not just the location of the ball, but also like what structures have you started to overcome. So you could be in the middle third, but if you haven't really overcome like that first line that is pressuring you, you're still kind of like in a, in a build up phase, so to say. Once you kind of overcome like that first line of pressure, they mm -hmm. say it's like a, a, a positional like possession where you still have to maybe overcome the players that are trying to prevent the progression and then the players that are defending the, the goal. Um, and it, and it kind of keeps going like that. The last, the last phase would be like, once you've overcome all those lines, then, um, you know, you're going just against the, the last line. But it's also to say, you know, you could create scoring chances without having going straight into that, that, la that final phase. You know, you could, you could take a shot from distance where you're still kind of like in a positional possession phase, you know? Um, all the phases are kind of like interlinked, but now it's getting away from it. It doesn't just matter like where the ball is. It's it's kind of in relation to the other important elements of the game, right? The opposition. So I like that you kind of intuitively just kind of started to think about that. It sounded a lot like that. Yeah. Well, you, this is. <clears throat> go ahead. Oh, this is really this is really interesting because the phase spaces you're talking about are. Um, emergent like properties that that come about when you have a, a team versus another team that are yep. co-adapting to against different intentions so if, in Barcelona for example from the way they describe it if, if you have this intention of keeping the ball right um, very simply around the ball there's this chaotic more chaotic um, environment usually and that's that intervention phase space mm -hmm. right and to keep the ball depending on 
some other factors, of course. Um, you have to have players further from the ball as well. How far, how far can be a coach's um, type of, you know, preference. But yeah. this is a, an emergent property where, like, an, a, a, a team of, of individuals collectively are synchronizing towards an intention and these types of like patterns emerge right and that gets me into this idea of when you break the thirds down into the sense of like for training um we're going to build out from the goalkeeper and, and you have we're playing from our defensive third to our middle third we're looking to progress to there um if you view that in the sense of this is a cutout from from the big game you know from the big field and it's a cutout in the sense of um, we need to have a reference in our mind of what we, we would be doing if these lines weren't here. And it's like, uh, but, you know, this might not make sense in this third to build out like this, but we will build out like this because that's what we, we would do on a bigger in the bigger game. Mm -hmm. Right. But that isn't I don't think that's functional. What's functional is. um intentionally playing and self-organizing towards an intention regardless of all the changing task constraints yes and and like you talk about gonzalo is it's the fractal view of the game where it the game itself isn't like a cutout like when you're playing one of these games this isn't a cutout that um is a representation of that essentially it is a smaller version of the big game yes so if you're working on build out you can you just need a goal and a goalkeeper in these areas, right? And you're, you're building these relationships with the players involved. And that's what they're synchronizing around. You know, it isn't just like, all right, this is my game model. And now we, we do it like this. I know it doesn't make sense in this environment, but this is what we would do. I think that's the biggest key for me is um, that the, the players need to be playing the game. Yes. I agree. Yeah, there's some... Um... There's this belief that uh, 14 or 13 or 15-year-old kids, and again, we have not talked about different age groups, right? We're like right, just right. talking generally right now. But like that 13 or 14-year-old kid who now has to understand that in that area of the field, he has to play like this. And in that area of the field, there are some other principles he has to do. So it's like, and yes, they are probably connected. I'm not saying they're connected, but they are there are different principles that he has to think on based on where he is. And maybe there are different principles based on what the opponent's formation is or what mm -hmm. the coach wants to do on that day or where they are. You know, some fields have channels, right? Like if the ball is in certain channels, there's a different um, behavior um, expected. And so that a young child like that can focus on all of these things while also being in the game, engaged, and because all what we are talking about are now reference points that have nothing to do with the game, right? It's like, oh, coach wants me to do this here. Um, mm -hmm. What is the opponent doing? Because now I have to do this principle um, versus just being fully focused in the game, engaged in reading the opponents, engaged in helping the teammate, picking up yeah. on cues, right? The cues are subtle, like focusing on subtle cues. You mean, you're not even focusing on them. You just pick them up because you're, you're focused on them. Your brain is in the activity, right? Like these, these, these other things are all distractions that take away actually from the little details that make you gain an advantage or disadvantage, um, yeah. in the game. And so I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you, uh, guys, like, 
the um, the moment that you don't have the full field anymore, like it's not really a third anymore. You know, I feel like the fascination, uh, like like they want to be very specific, like with maybe space and like the players that could be there, right? Like how many I know in the U.S. soccer courses that I've done, whenever you've been assigned like the first third. The build up everyone the build up activity everyone does is the eight versus six, right? Like the goalkeeper, yeah. the back four, the middle three versus the the front three and then the midfield three. But like to your point, it's like if you could take like the fractal view of it, uh it's like the build up isn't the build up unless it connects to the like the 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 middle field game and then ultimately like the finishing, right? So it's almost as if like Instead of the eight v six, like playing a seven versus seven would be more rich, where both teams have the chance to have the to press or not press. You no, know? you're taking more of that fractal view of the game. Um, it's okay, maybe the space is not the most representative, but like the intentions and the um, the interconnectivity of like the different phases, the intent is very present, right? The, yeah. the from attacking to defending like close to your own goal and then away from your own goal that's really i think yeah you know i think it's all not always but there's this idea that i think is really prevalent that isn't thought about a lot but it's this idea that if i have the tactics board and or i have i'm playing in this third i'm having my team play through the thirds in the way that i want on this tactics board and I'm viewing it in this sense of this is a cutout from the game, and it isn't the game anymore, but it's a cutout from the game. Um, like you said, Gonzalo, like if you don't have the the further like affordances to play to play um, like a round through and over and progress, this is this is just a game. The thirds are actually just smaller, right? In this in this game, right? Like right. you're still playing soccer, correct? And um. The thing we get frustrated with, or I, I used to do this with this coach is like, no, 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 this wouldn't work. Like this worked in this game, right? But this this isn't how I would like you to organize yourself in this idea I have of the game. Right. And so it's all based on this mental model and this knowledge about soccer. And if you talk about like James Gibson and this idea of ecological psychology and this view of perception is direct and the environment and context that they're adapting in now is that like that is the reality and every single game environment they experience will be a different one it's never the same mm -hmm. and it's about how they adapt to the constraints it doesn't have to be a perfect cutout of something it's about how they adapt to the information and so it's like if one team has the the offside line that's building out and the other doesn't because of this idea well we, they wouldn't have an offside line during the game right like that's this is the wrong kind of thinking in my opinion I think both teams should have an offside line, and then both teams are working on on playing soccer with references. Like you, you get like Sasha said earlier, you can appreciate the the zones, and then like zone A, for example, might have a goalkeeper here, right? And you can pass back to the goalkeeper. This affordance is available to find some stability in that sense. Mm -hmm. But you're still working on playing all of soccer. This is why like playing five v five makes you a better soccer player as well. You know. Um, so I think we get a little obsessed as coaches with this like broader game knowledge about the game rather than the specifying information sources the players um, interact with in real direct time. Yes, I agree.
Let me ask you this. Um, at what point does it become maybe the right thing to do, talk about zones? At what age? Could, or does it maybe never come, uh, come appropriate? Well, I, th I think that we have to be clear not to like dichotomize the two. Like, it's, I think it's okay to talk about zones. And I think that it's an all right way to, if you even have a game, for example, with lines, and you, and you use those as some type of reference, like if you can win it in this line and progress in this line, maybe get a point or something. I think it's okay to talk about them, and it's never like wrong. What I think is wrong is using this knowledge about the zones to try to um, regulate their behavior, like a coach-centered pedagogy rather than the player's perceptual perceptual um, sources that they're picking up on and, and figuring out how to intentionally um, achieve the objective with their with their teammates. Because that's different than, like, there is a correct thing to do in the zones versus the acknowledgement of zones. Right. That makes sense. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, it's like, um, yeah, it's also kind of like, okay, what once you exit kind of the one turn, it's like, okay, what happens next? A lot of times, like, the games like that, like, okay, it ends, you know? Um, when it's like, can we stay true to the to the game, right? The game, like, the, it ends once you've scored. Or if you haven't scored, okay, then the other team is, is gets the ball, and now they have the chance to do the same thing to you. Um, so, so yeah, I, 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 I agree. Um, what's interesting, though, this is kind of a, a, a reflection I've thought of recently, kind of like, Another reason why maybe it's become prevalent in this country, and I don't know what you guys think, but if you look, a lot of the teams uh, in the U.S., very rarely, unless they're very high level, they have the whole field to themselves. More generally, okay. they typically they train in one half or a third. I've seen the field sometimes cut in the thirds. And so maybe it's been a way for them to kind of like... Uh, they've taken like notice of what's like the reality of how many teams train and try to give them kind of a reference of a way to training um, the different phases like that. Because a lot of teams don't even have two goals to play with. They get one. That's true. You know. That's a good point. Um, yeah. Sasha, I, think... I want to know your, your thoughts. The question you asked us started, what is your answer to that? When do you think it's appropriate time? Um... And what does appropriate mean, and what what kind of use of the yeah? That's of that's the a good question. Like I honestly, I don't know the exact age, sure. and certainly I think it has also to do with the ability of the players already, right? Because the the way they see and understand the game is what they can pay attention to helps yeah. them, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know the exact answer for that. No, I would I don't say. Think there is. Oh, sorry, is that loud in the backgrounds? A little bit. Yeah, sorry, it's just finishing it's up. All right, right. Um, it's a birthday party. So no, three olds learning soccer, man. No um, good zones in that session. Though. How um, many ladders are um, out there? Oh, just a lot of cones, man. A lot <laughs> of cones, picking up cones uh, with the ball, kicking them over with the ball. It's very chaotic, actually. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I would go. It's so hard, man. Uh, can I? Can I? I wouldn't do it probably before sixteen, seventeen, nineteen. And again, that it's a gradual thing, right? I wouldn't say like you're 15, you never talk about any kind of uh, zones. And what I would say zones in regards to just 
defensive middle and attacking probably never i would always yeah. relate those zones to to the opponent's lines probably that's how i would do it um but I, I don't know if I will talk with the 11 or 12 year olds about these kind of zones, opponents or defensive. Like there, there's a progression um, going from there. And at some point, yeah, just you have to see how the players respond. Are they capable of doing it? Is it actually, you know, affecting their performance? Are they, you know, right? You can talk to them, you can reflect on with them on, on certain things. And um, you, I think it's an individual coach's decision. You should try it out and and see what it affects. But what you don't want to see is this um, good friend of me uh, said once that um, this buffering, this like where players are like almost thinking too much about what they should be doing. And you, you can see that they are not reacting to what's happening in the game. They are waiting for something to happen because that is in their mind that that needs to happen. And they don't actually reacting to the cues that the game gives them. And so when you see that across the board on 11 players, you just have, you know, not a good performance. You don't have a performance where players are connecting um, mm -hmm. with each other, that they are working together, that they have common common goal. They're actually reacting to a player moving in a certain way because they're not paying attention to that. So, um, yeah, it, it's to go back to what you said. I think it's an individual decision by the coach to try it out and see. And um, I coached a U13 team last year, and um, you know, I would I would reference the specific lines on the field and how that can affect how can we you know maybe increase the space between certain lines right how can we make space in between certain in a zone let's call it the zone between the defensive line and the midfield line from the opponent how can mm -hmm. we collectively try to increase that space like what are the actions that individual players can maybe do with that that help with that right so there's a reference that is related to a specific zone for the players to think about but it's certainly not the only thing Right, not the only thing that they can think about. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to see then, after sharing that, that that's the only thing they are thinking about now because I told them that, right? So their focus is not on the game anymore. It's almost about this one topic that I told them. And that's what we have to be careful with. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's like in the, def in the attacking third, right? Me as the coach, I decide we are going to force play wide. Our, our number nine is going to press their center back and force wide. And that is correct, right? And it's not about the the intention of what's going on. It's not about how can we like win the ball back or intercept the ball. It's um, There's a correct model. And it might not be the best solution. What if the goalkeeper, the, the player recognized that the goalkeeper is not good with his feet and I'm like coaching U12s. And they're mm -hmm. like, I'm going to force play to him. Mm -hmm. you know, Or they find a multitude of any other solutions that's happening, you know, but coaches needs for control sometimes prevent them from exploring these solution spaces like that. Yeah. And I think what you just said is also really important because why is a coach doing it in the first place? Right. Is he doing it? Is he doing it because he thinks that learning happens faster that way? Right, that that, that yeah. is actually good for the players for their development, or is it because he thinks that he has this idea of how the team should play, and that is how he gets the players to play that way, right? Sure, now, man, like, okay, is... so even if let's say this would all work, and yeah. the players are actually playing now the way the coach wants them to play, does that mean they are actually learning the variants of the game, the different styles, the different ideas, right? Can they really be true to who they are? 
um, yeah. and become the best version of themselves? Or are they just like doing what the coach tells them really well? And so if they do what the coach tells them to do really well, they probably have a little bit more success in that moment because they're very organized, they're working together. But long-term, is that really what learning or long-term development would look like? Um, that would be my question, right? If you, if you um, let's say, and this, this happens too, let's say you have cert certain zones that you tell your team to shoot from because there's a higher probability of scoring yeah. from the zones, right? Golden like zone. the golden, golden zone. zone or whatever it is. So, <laughs> Now, if you really focus on that and you say, guys, we, we only have to get the ball in there, right? Like how many opportunities for players do you take away that they're now not paying attention to scoring anymore, right? That there are maybe other ways of scoring because they're so constrained into this one way. And maybe the team is successful by doing that. Successful, I mean like winning. But what if the kid goes to a different, and we're dealing a lot with players going to different colleges. What if they go somewhere else and they never had the opportunity to to explore other way of scoring. And this coach doesn't have a golden zone, right? Yeah. So now, like, what has he learned over the last few years? That is what I'm struggling with, the, the learning process, how these things are good from a learning perspective. That's a really good point. Can't hear you, Gonzalo. Um what you're saying, Sasha, kind of um, made me think a little bit about recently um, Joao Felix. Um, Joao Felix obviously is in Barcelona now, and um, you know a lot of the people in that had him in Porto and Benfica say like this is the Joao Felix that we saw as a kid. Uh, mm -hmm. It's because like if you look at some of the other places played at recently, Atletico, Chelsea. Maybe they don't really play that type of football that he was accustomed to in Porto, Benfica, in Barcelona now, where like these teams are, they're the protagonists of like the game, right, where they try to play. So it's it's tough because like I know we want to keep the players uh, open to a lot of possibility, but in the end, like I feel like the players do become like more comfortable with a certain style, the the one that they're probably given at an earlier age, you know? Um, and that that's how they start to, like, ident identify themselves. Um, and it's tough because, like, I feel like as a coach, you want to give them ideas. Uh, you want the team to play collective. You want them to work from a basic uh, framework that to, it's like, okay, together we understand this, you know? Um, but it's tough. But at the same time, like you were saying, Julian, if the goalkeeper is the weaker player, I mean, let's force the ball to the goalkeeper and let's make mistake you know so it's like uh, you want to have an idea but it, it has to be like functional open to functionality as well i feel like you know i'm thinking about about this from the social cultural stance now so you, you talk about like joe felix and, and the way that he maybe learned to play as a kid and the freedom that was there and the, the, this idea of being a protagonist and and also like that's that's a social cultural constraint as well and just as um the one for the coach a coach in america who needs to be perceived like they have control because that is part of their job right. part of their job is you you need to have these these guys organized and if it if they are not then that's a reflection on your coaching and Chaotic, you can't have chaotic. It's got to be organized, right? right. Um, and, and so th there's a pressure on coaches, even of young players. 
as well to have the have them organized, have them set up right, you know. And I think it's silly, and but I also think that it's a it's a constraint that is real and needs to be addressed if this these kinds of things are gonna gonna change, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I see it all the time. For, What's have that? you have you experienced a culture? I, I don't know if it's different in Germany, Sasha, but like a culture where it's maybe the coach is not perceived like that. He doesn't have that pressure of having to have all the kids organized. And what does that kind of football look like? What does that kind of environment look like for training? I wish I would know more about the soccer culture in Germany. I never played in an academy setting. I played for my village team for. 15 years my dad was my coach for 10 years and it was just the friends in the neighborhood right everybody took their bike to practice and we trained twice a week and play a game on the weekend and you had to you know you had to send a letter home with a kid back then no emails right that hey who was driving the kids to the away game which was 10 minutes away because you didn't have enough drivers right that's how much the parent involvement was um so there was never any pressure it's also too important to understand that there's no payment made to the club for a kid to play, right? These are volunteer coaches for the majority of players in Germany, unless you are in a Bundesliga or second Bundesliga, maybe third. I don't know exactly what the who is the professional academies over there now, right? But but if you are the vast majority of Germans play for club teams who are volunteer coaches and there's no money, it's supported by the government and so it's a very different dynamic than here, right? Here is, you know, everybody plays a certain amount of money and because of that, you expect um, mm -hmm. some kind of coaching. Um, that's a narrative and I think that's true. But also I think parents in the end want the same thing that you as a coach want, right? And so if you can um, communicate effectively that why maybe we should not be that organized, <laughs> right why maybe it's not good for the development some the club that i'm working with now um we have a small recreational program and we have a group of six and seven year olds that i'm working with twice a week and i'm trying to refuse to tell them that you are a defender or you are forward and mm -hmm. i see some other teams that we're playing against and they have three defenders and three forwards and when the ball is at the other goal like they are attacking then their three defenders are standing on the penalty box mm -hmm. and and not engaged in the game. And right. I'm like, how did they come from U5, where everybody runs where the ball is, to at U6, U7, standing in these positions, right? And we can talk about zones, but a formation is also, like a, a certain position mm. itself is a very constraining um, reference point, right? Like, just like a zone would be, oh, and, yeah. or principles within a zone. And so I see these kids, I'm like, I, that cannot be fun. And also that cannot be, what the professional game is going to be like eventually. like So they have to, at some point, unlearn the standing in a spot again and engaging with the ball all the times and engaging with their teammates all the time. And But I know because I'm speaking to parents, I also know that parents like that because it looks like they are learning something. Look, they're not just all chasing the balls anymore. They have learned that there are positions, which is, I mean, not a complicated thing to teach that there are positions, right? But that is where then a club would have to communicate, well, actually, you know, let me tell you why maybe this is not so good that they stand there because they're not paying attention anymore to what's happening in the game. We're making it easier for them, but is that really what we want? And um, 
I don't, I don't think that that understanding and the ability to communicate that is is enough happening here. Yeah. Hence why Julian made that podcast, by the way. <laughs> I think that, man, you've you've got me thinking. Like, look at American sports. Look at um, baseball, American football, sometimes organized basketball, you know, volleyball, and gym class. Um, it is very structured and stand in your spot type of environments. School, sit in your seat, get in a line here, control of everyone. And um, I think that it can be almost overwhelming to some players to not have this structure at an early age when the entire sociocultural environment is about structure. And I've had this experience before with players where they're like, they need to know the position that they're going to be playing in. And it's really funny. Like they're play, they play 5v5 and they're like, I'll be the left winger, right winger. And it's like a security to know what the position is. And it's, and then it's like, they don't, they don't really play. Sometimes they don't even play that position. The good players don't play that position. They run out, they run out, they run away in my opinion, but some of them take it so literally and Everywhere else in their life, this literary, lit, taking it literally is good. You know, you're the right fielder. Stay on the right. Stand on your spot. You know, and even in American football rules, everyone stands in their spots, gets ready before you're allowed to play. Like I grew up playing tackle American football, two-hand touch football. And it, like we were even memorizing the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the millions of rules you have in this game. And it's like five-yard penalty, you were offside. You know, like things like this. Like American kids like structure. And in a way, we're fighting this kind of culture when we're when we're saying, no, go out there and use your own t- intuition to try to find spaces with your team to play around over and through, for example. Right. You know, and I think that's just interesting, honestly. Yeah, I think... Uh... I agree. I mean, it's like, I mean, if you probably take some of our kids in this country and you compare them to other kids in different parts of the world, maybe they're not as intuitive, right? Just because they're used to so much structure. Maybe in other places in the world, like the kids are a little more outdoors. Maybe they're a little more on their own, right? Um, and so just like the, the constraints of their cultural world, like uh, force them to kind of be the way they are. You know, you don't have to force them to be creative. They, they're it's just, it's present a lot in their life, you know, the liberty to act. And so, yeah, you know, I'm not like saying, I don't, I want to take it back a little because I'm, I feel myself sounding like I'm talking about a universal thing here. Like all American yeah. kids are like this. It's not like, right. you know, and right. of course there's kids that go outside and play and they're free. And right. this isn't, these are just some of the cultural constraints that are affecting the children. It doesn't mean that they're all now like robotic, you know, because yeah. um, you see tons of players that are free and and they solve problems. It's just, we have to be careful as coaches into putting them into these positional boxes, these game model boxes, um, these things like that, that are not the makings of a good soccer player. Right. Yeah. No, and I, I want to, I think all kids are the same, like in every country, right? There are dynamics that, you know, make them maybe behave in certain ways, but they're all the same right. kids still. And in certainly 
possible that in Germany there are a lot of coaches also who put players in positions at the age of seven, right? And I think universally, like, I'm just thinking, is that is that really how they're learning the game? I want to bring it back to, like, is that helpful for their long-term development, these rules, or are they not, right? That's where, are these zones actually helpful for their development? And not for the performance at that time, because yesterday I, I was coaching a middle school game, or not even middle school, JV middle school. Um, and that <laughs> happened as well. You had... An, their ability, they that is they play soccer for the first time, right? So their ability is really low. But because we had these three guys standing on top of the box, and they are like nine years old, ten years old, right? They're standing on top of the box. We were actually more successful because when the other team broke out and they crossed these 30, 40 yards towards our penalty box with their fast guys, we had three guys standing there. If we have these three guys closer to the ball, and this fast player breaks out, there's nobody there anymore and he can just run and run, right? So the the performance can actually increase because you have these rules or constraints in place. But from a development standpoint, right, mm-hmm. I, that's where I'm struggling um, to see the benefit. And unfortunately, when you are in an environment where uh, I think you know, we don't need to dive into all of that, but there's a benefit of a club here performing well, financial benefits for a club performing well, a team performing well, right? Um, for coaches performing well because of that's that's very different in Germany because there's a big financial benefit from that. Uh, I mean, maybe we can dive into that another day. No. But it is it's interesting that you say it because it's like um, resources. Players are resources, and if you win more games, you might get more players and it's about results um and and it's interesting you know and is that a constraint that you're asking i think to organize them in these ways to try to get results Mm -hmm. you know and that might be counterproductive to their um like exploratory behaviors in order to develop more skillful skills you know that's interesting Gonzalo, let me ask you, I don't know so much about the Barcelona um, zones, like the the space behavior or... um, Phase spaces. What is it called? I think it's phase spaces. Phase spaces? Yeah. Okay. Gonzalo knows it the real way. Is is that like attacking and defending together? Is that always prevalent or are there specific behaviors in attack and defending or Um, this game phase? Yeah, so uh, they define kind of the behaviors, those defensive behaviors that I was uh, mentioning. And then they also kind of have uh, behaviors for like the individual player. I think it's like there's six kind of supports that exist. I think it's like obviously you have the player with the ball. I think you have the support backwards, a support like horizontally, a support that breaks like one line, a support that can uh, goes over like the la- the final line and then uh, there's one like like a pinning kind of behavior like at the nine is pinning the the center back i okay. i think those are the five it's like five or six and like within that it's like the individual level and then individually doing that is like giving a collective intention sure sense. yeah yeah is that um do you know if it is age group specific like do they start i don't know when barcelona has their first actual team like u10 is that like something that they actually talk about or is that just something that the coaches define and then create uh, practice environments where this behavior comes out but they're not actually talking about it do you know more about that 
So I've read a lot about how they how they think about it. I haven't I don't know so well how they how they teach it to their boys. Julian though has done like the Barca Academy. I don't know if you know a little more and how they how they roll it out to the kids. Um I mean a little bit. I mean it's just an online course, right? But we did have a friend, Sasha and I, um Ivan. Yeah, I'll talk about Ivan. He um he worked at um, the Barcelona Residency Academy, uh-huh. and um, the, it's similar, of course, because they use the same methodology. But it isn't like this um, universal methodology. Like you have to respect the context that you're in, um, and so it, it's kind of like if you view the game in these like self-organized um, instances that happen from their view, um, like if you want players to share experiences say like in the intervention spaces then you you put them in these like areas in in games like maybe there's like a central um space for these two players where um it's a tight area and it's kind of like this duel two on two against two other opponents like um to try to get the ball out of that space for example Mm -hmm. um two players in these like mutual help and um cooperation spaces right so like mutual help is like a little bit closer like they're nearby the players that are in this like fighting grasping like player action space um and the cooperation is something that that happens um it's really funny like here u13 that we go to the big field and the giant goals and they, and they played on a much smaller 99 field. And then there's really not cooperation spaces there where you're uninvolved with directly what's happening with the ball and you have more time and the coach has more influence about what, what they're doing. Whereas like when you're in these closer spaces around the ball, it, you don't have time to even coach them. This is right. about them, them playing in these tight areas and trying to find ways to whatever the shared intentions are, right? But like when, some, when you're like the, uh, the left back and the ball's and the like like forward in the opponent's like half and and there's like we've just lost the ball for example or we've just won the ball like and the players furthest from the ball have to be doing things too and they have to be cooperating based off what's going on but they have to experience that and so barcelona from my understanding is designing sessions so players experience all these different parts of the self-organized process mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. with different individuals and it's all about socio-effective relationships too and that's what we forget. It's like not just X's and O's. It's about who is interacting with who and where. And right. that that's so important is that they share the experiences and share the intentions together to create these synergies in the game. In the game. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, and so they do, they do tons of different contexts. Like they change it all the time because yeah. the, the game, sorry to interrupt, the game is viewed as its own distinct context every single time. And you could play with the same 11 versus 11 players at the same time the next day, and it'll be a completely different game. And mm-hmm. so they appreciate that in training by saying, um, and this is the same with a constraints-led approach, by the way. They, they use this um, type of stuff. And it's all about them adapting to the task constraints and um, self-organizing the individual and task and environment constraints that are all, inter- all interrelated. And that changes um, every time they play. And so it might be like the space is a little bit different. So 
or the space is bigger, or you change where the offside lines are, or you change how many neutrals there are if you decide to use those, or the player right. superiorities, or the rules. And you change things, so that, and then you see who adapts quickest. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a skill in itself, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think they, have, they, they emphasize, like, the different superiorities in the games that they make. Um, I don't know if you've read about those, Sasha. I don't think they're, like... I don't think they tell the kids like this is like a qualitative superiority. Yeah. Like yeah. just the game intuitively is like training that type yeah. of superiority. And then the kids just start to maybe like the positional, they, they will mention like, oh yeah, the body shape and all that stuff. But um, I think those are the best games, right? Like the where you're picking up uh, useful information just intuitively. The game intuitively to be yeah. successful in that game. You have yeah. to perform that action or that principle or that uh, relation. Uh, you and me playing with the ball, um, and I think they, I think they try to do some of that stuff as well. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. different how the coach looks at the game and then the player that plays in the game, right? That the the pattern recognition of the player within the game because he has seen it many, many times, right? But it's not the pattern recognition that he looks at something. It's like, okay, this is the pattern that coach is talking about. This pattern, just looking at something gives him a feeling, like a feeling of like, oh, this is good or this is not good, right? This I have seen before and that kind of worked, so I'm going to try this. Or, you know, that's that's the transfer of, or the adaptation, so no pattern will ever be the same, but there will be similarities that the players can recognize. But it has to go so fast that it, they're looking at a pattern and then thinking about a reference point or what the coach wants specifically in this game to happen, it just takes too long and these patterns are gone because they're constantly changing, right? Um, and I like, to, I like to describe it more as a feeling or a feeling in the moment, like a feeling of like this is something good or not something good. And... Yeah, how how do you get to that point <laughs> that they recognize the good feelings? Um, yeah, you have to play. You got to play a lot. Play I, a lot. I think so. Do good ones. Yeah. You know, it's like um, like the, in task constraints, you want to have consequence. Like um, you see so many like rondo games where um, you keep the ball. And you have, like, say, I've seen in the college level, and there are, like, two defenders in the middle. It's a 5v2, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, you're losing some represent representativeness here because there's no direction. Um, but you also lose representativeness here when, um, say, the defenders win it, and it's just like, okay, kick it right back to the, the guys again because yeah. they're the ones doing the defensive reps right. right now. And this you don't have the same intentional state when one um, moment, like, flows into the other like after you win the ball like the game doesn't just stop you there's there's a flow going on to another type of like phase like these chaotic stochastic phases they call them Mm -hmm. right and um from barcelona point of view um these types of games where you're keeping the ball keeping the ball keeping the ball and like that is your full focus that that's what they like you know so i don't want to say like this is right this is wrong but they're very interested in players solving this problem of how do we keep possession together and in that and we're okay with not even paying attention to the goal at this to practice this right you know we're okay with not having direction to practice this and say what you want about that you can agree or disagree you know but that's just that's one yeah. thing you Fair know much. some would argue like it's hard to figure out how to keep the ball when you don't have the affordances present to play forward to have direction um 
And so there's this idea of transferability. It might transfer more if you play games um, that have direction in a, you know, and a weight of scoring, but also incentivizes keeping possession. That's kind of where I'm at, you know? Yeah, what I mean, if you can train? What if you can train? And whatever you train transfers to the perceived defensive third or middle third or attacking third. It's the same same things, right? You don't have to separate yeah. that. And today we're only working and then it doesn't transfer. So, and then when if it does transfer, then why do we even have zones? Like that would be my question. But I mean, there obviously I'm not, I don't know everything. I don't, I don't no, know a no. lot. Um, so there are other <laughs> thoughts out there. And for me, it's just, a preference of what is more efficient like what how right. do you develop players fast everybody trains almost at the college level especially everybody trains almost the same time right they have their guidelines of what they can do and it's just can you be more efficient in your practice session and if somebody thinks right. that it's a 5v2 then that's okay the results will show it at the end of the season i guess uh, what that would be like yeah i think when you guys were talking about like the feeling of like this feels right this doesn't feel right that is related to the um the intentions of of the activity that we can shape as coaches. I think that's the most important constraint is shaping intentions. And if the intention is to keep possession and play around through or over the opponent in an activity where the opponent intercepts it from you, for example, that's not a good feeling. You know, if you play like a three V three and you're trying to get into an end zone, for example, like if you, and you have to get in there by dribbling, this is one example. Um, and the opponent, tackles you before you're in that's not a good feeling and i know it sounds simple but like we design sessions with consequences that the players can self like organize and correct around you know and that's the feeling and that's different than saying all right we're going to pass back and forth between two mannequins to practice passing through gaps right because if i hit the mannequin um so what they can't score on me yeah you know, this, the consequence isn't real in that sense. And I, and I think that's the feeling. You're not going to get the same feelings in that, in that game. Yeah. I, yeah, it's like uh, what you said, Sasha, like the feeling, creating the feeling, right? Um, so important. Like, you want the players to uh, be able to play together, have a, a certain feeling of this is how we want. We want to be the protagonist. You know, I mean, at, at, at like the most basic level, it's like, I think as coaches, that's what we want, right? We want the team to be the the, the protagonist, and the players want that as well. Um, but it's funny because like um, they interviewed this like uh, Argentinian coach the other day. I was watching, and they asked him, "Which is the exercise the players enjoy the most?" He's like in my teams, the players love to play the rondos. Mm-hmm. They enjoy the rondos. Like okay, maybe it's not representative of like the game, mm-hmm. but maybe it's yeah. representative of the idea they have, mm-hmm. and they enjoy that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, agree. Like, there it's also, like, um, you know, maybe these, some of these are not the most related to the game, but mm-hmm. maybe you're playing with some other things, right? You're trying to shape the intention a little bit, trying to shape a little bit, like, some mm-hmm. identity stuff. Yeah. Uh, and you Socio-effective use, game. Yes, socio-effective, exactly. Age-specific. Age-specific, too. Effect, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, I think, the, the beauty of coaching, you know, how yeah. you use little... To, to influence them, hopefully yeah. possibly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a good, a good, a big deal of that feeling, right? That happiness when you play. And we all, I think, would agree that if if a team is happier, better connected, um, feel safer together, they will perform better, right? Just um, nothing is in the way of their performance. Um, 
the the way that we do our practices and like i said what, what you just said with a 5v2 right the coach kind of like asks his players and they tell him and then that's what they're gonna do right it, it gives them an ownership into right. the practice design right and um the same here sometimes i feel when we are very or when when a coach is so focused on that this is the club directive we have to play like this or this is my directive as a you you take a lot of the ownership away and a player feels that like a player feels when he plays and he says i can only do this in this zone like that's what i'm so that's what i have to look at that that for me i mean for me and that's there are other character out there some people like a little bit more structure i i would think but generally how i feel about soccer um that is really uh, not how i see soccer or sport in general right it's it's freedom it's it's ownership it's being in the moment and and reacting yeah. to things that are happening that is it's like an art almost right it's not it's 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 an art how you play soccer everybody can play it in a different way um and so when we take that ownership away which we do by constraining them to zones or certain behavior in zones that are not based on what is happening in the game right playing over around that like they're not collective behaviors that are focused on the game they are just like based on this club wants to play this way we want to press them out wide like okay yeah. now the club can press them in the middle like but we are constrained there like you take a lot away from players like i don't want to press your coach i feel like this guy's faster than me and he runs around me all the time like why can i not stay off and force him back in the middle like okay then but we can't do that yeah. at this club it's not possible we have to play it's like this problem so, solving it's about it, replicating it, the ideal model and that's i think that's wrong for learning i 100 agree with you yeah. It doesn't sound right. It's like maybe if if the because you got to play, you got to solve problems together. If you're trying to find ways to um, play through the opponent, then maybe that that's what they should be doing in this scenario. Maybe it's like they're playing wide and there there's like these both affordances available at once. Like, can this opportunity to play through them emerge? from playing wide like do these gaps start to open up maybe they do maybe they don't but if you say something and this might be um not fair but i hear this kind of stuff where it's like we're going to play wide in the build-up and, and it's irrespective of what's available what's yeah. gonna happen yeah. yeah yeah right it's just a preference of of the model and the coach and right. it takes it takes ownership away from the players to find solutions in the game yeah yeah good talk guys all right we have um two more minutes if anybody has any last thing they want to share we're gonna go for the hour here well thanks thanks for having me i enjoyed this conversation i know julian we worked together a while and we're both in richmond and we're on the phone all the time but gonzalo was so nice to meet you man really appreciate the conversation yeah, yeah no well, this is great guys Sorry, I can't hear you, Gonzalo. Sorry. Oh man, I know. You gotta... it, was, it was a pleasure to, to to meet you as well, Sasha, and thank you for putting it together, Julie. Let's do it again, definitely. Thank you guys right. so much. This was awesome. All right, thank you All guys. Right, gonna... Have a great stop. weekend. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Bye.